0: Log Talk Radio.
1: This is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal this is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, November 11th, uh, 2023. Uh, we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank everyone. For tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Later on, I uh, will be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll feature dispatches on the Palestine Solidarity Demonstrations in London and other European capitals, which are demanding a ceasefire in the liberation of Palestine. There have been attacks uh, on the United States military bases in West Asia, in response to the heightening and perilous aggression in the region. South African political parties are calling for the severance of diplomatic relations with Tel Aviv, and the resistance to the ground incursion in Gaza is continuing. In the second and third hours, we will listen to various reports on developments in West Asia and Africa related to the tensions in Palestine and other geopolitical regions. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program, Stay tuned. We'll take our musical interlude in the North African state of Egypt uh, with the music of Um Kaltum and Hoa Orchestra. This is entitled an opera, Saret El Hab. Let's listen in.
2: بخاء من الحب وسرت الحب وظلم الحب الكل Men
1: Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the music, the voice, the orchestra of uh, Um Umm Kautoum, one of the legendary Egyptian classical music artists, and uh, Umm Kautoum, who we've been uh, reviewing her music over the last uh, several weeks, uh, quite appropriate in regard uh, to the struggle that is continuing and spreading uh, throughout uh, West Asia and North Africa Related to what is happening in Gaza, to the Palestinian people, and indeed to people throughout the entire region of West Asia and North Africa, Um Kulthum, uh, who have, we have been featuring, uh, was born in 1904. She made her transition in 1975. She was unquestionably the most uh, gifted singer and musician of the 20th century in uh, to emerge from North Africa. Her music uh, expanded um, throughout. Uh, Africa, uh, throughout uh, West Asia, and other parts of the world. She was continuously pop- popular for over 50 years, and her songs are still played nightly on any number of Arabic-language uh, radio stations, particularly uh, within Egypt. And of course, uh, we are here with the Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast, and uh, we feature her music whenever uh, we can. Her name is trans literated uh, in many different ways uh, in the Roman alphabet, including Um Kaltum, Um sum Um Kaltum, Um Kaltum, uh, and other ways as well. That uh, classic uh, opera, Saret Al-Hab, just to give you some idea of the um, English translation of the uh, lyrics from Arabic, uh, it says, All my life I've been afraid of love, of love, and the betrayal of love to its friends. I know stories full of pain, tears and cries of agony. Lovers have been worn out, but not quit. All my life, I've been saying I'm not up to desire. And the nights of desire and my heart is not up to its torture. I met you. I found you changing all my life. I don't know how I love you. I don't know how my life. From a whisper of love, I found myself in love. I found myself in love, melting in love. Melting in love day and night, day and night at its doorsteps. Many years and years have passed from my life. I've seen many and a few lovers, those complaining to themselves about their condition and those crying over their ballot. Lovers are truly pitiful. Many times love has called my heart. My heart didn't respond. Many times desire tried to tempt me and told it, go away torture. Many eyes flirted with me, but never Got me busy, except your eyes. Only those took me and captured me with your love. They ordered me to love. I found myself in love. And uh, the lyrics uh, go on and on. And, of course, uh, you're listening to the Pan-Africa Journal, a worldwide uh, radio broadcast. Uh, Today is Saturday, uh, November the 11th, uh, 2023. And uh, we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of our program. Our lead story, uh, of course, uh, deals uh, with the burgeoning um, popular movement uh, throughout uh, the world in solidarity with Palestine against the siege of Gaza and the genocidal destruction of Gaza uh, by uh, the U.S and, of course, its allies in West Asia, the state of Israel. Today, hundreds of thousands of people uh, marched in central London. They were chanting, stop bombing Gaza and ceasefire now. This was undoubtedly the largest Palestine solidarity demonstration held in the UK so far. Police estimate that about 300,000 demonstrators joined the march earlier today, uh, which fell on the same day as the annual Armistice Day commemorations marking the end of World War I and honoring those killed in military action over 100 years ago. Ahead of the events, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak had called its timing, quote, disrespectful, unquote. Quote, these are huge numbers and it's unprecedented, unquote, said Al Jazeera's Paul Brennan, reporting uh, from the march. Quote, it's a message to the British government as well, who tried to have this march banned uh, by the police, unquote. The, quote, National March for Palestine, unquote, was the latest in a series of rallies in the British capital to show support for the Palestinians since Israel launched an air and ground offensive on the Gaza Strip following Palestinian group's Hamas uh, offensive against southern Israel, which began on October the 7th. Hamas uh, offensive uh, reportedly killed 1,200 Israelis and saw more than 240 taken uh, captive. Israel's attacks, uh, which it has said are aimed at wiping out the Palestinian group, the resistance movement Hamas that rules Gaza, have killed more than 11,000 people in just over a month, including more than 4,500 children. Former British opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn and member of parliament for the Islington also took part in the rally and demanded a ceasefire. The U.K. government's ministers had called for Saturday's Demonstration to be canceled because it falls on August's day. Sunak told reporters uh, on Wednesday that he would hold the Metropolitan Police Commissioner accountable for safety since the police official defied demands to ban the pro-Palestinian protest. Uh, police said at least 82 people were arrested in central London on Saturday to prevent a breach of the peace. They were members of a group of counter-protesters who opposed the pro-Palestinian rally underway in the city. A few hours before the protest began, earlier today, a mile, 1.6 kilometers away from the start of the march, about 1,000 people lined the streets to watch the remembrance events at the Sanofa War Memorial. Among among the crowd, some right-wing counter-protesters opposed to the pro-Palestinian march chanted messages including, we want our country back. Fights broke out near the Cenotaph uh, between police and right wing protesters. Police used batons to stop the demonstrators and ceremonies at the memorial were not interrupted. Clashes also took place in other parts of the city, including Chinatown and near the House of Parliament. Confrontation near the cenotaph. Police said the counter protesters were not a single group and officers were tracking them as they moved away into other parts of London. Quote, groups of several hundred. Uh, counter protesters arrived and seemed intent on confrontation and intent on violence the Metropolitan Police Assistant Commissioner Matt twist said in a statement well we've had arrests uh, for possession of a knife possession of a baton possession of class a drugs and assault on an emergency worker twist said he confirmed the pro-Palestinian March was the largest we've seen so far and it went on without incidents The scenes of disorder we witnessed by the far right at the cenotaph are a direct result of the Home Secretary's words. The police job has been made much harder, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, said in a post on X. And in other news uh, taking place related to the struggle uh, in West Asia, the U.S. occupation forces in Syria are once again being attacked at the resistance upped its game against the u.s occupation forces the u.s occupation forces in milan northeastern syria were attacked by the islamic resistance informed sources told al-mahadeen on yesterday the town located in the area controlled by the u.s-backed syrian democratic front houses a u.s occupation base uh, with the region being the target for numerous resistance operations as anger grows with the U.S. over support of the Israeli occupation maniacal genocide in Gaza. As anti-U.S. sentiment grows and the occupation faces growing increasing unwelcome, operations carried out by the Iraqi resistance have thus far, according to U.S. figures, caused 56 casualties among U.S. forces and 46 operations carried out since October the 17th. Just on Friday, the Islamic resistance in Iraq, announced that its resistance fighters launched uh, UAV attacks on the U.S. occupation's al-Tanif base in Syria with direct hits confirmed. A rocket strike targeted U.S. forces in an al-Assad base in western Iraq three consecutive times, a few hours apart, with the different weapons that hit their targets, our correspondent reported just this last past Thursday. You're listening to the Pan-African newswire segment of the pan-african journal in other words in other news in other words south africa has issued a demarche to the israeli ambassador to south africa over israel's war on gaza south africa has issued a demarche to the israeli ambassador to south africa iliav belots the department of international relations and cooperation said on friday this is in protest at his recent unfortunate conduct related to the unfolding tragic Israeli-Palestine war. Earlier this week, the cabinet rebuked the public statements he made about South Africa's support for Palestinians. Director General of DIRCO Zayn Dangor, expressed on Friday South Africa's grave concerns regarding the current trajectory of events, especially the attacks on Gaza, which has seen more than 11,000 civilians, including over 4,500 children killed by Israeli airstrikes. Dane Gore said South Africa wants the International Criminal Court to investigate the leadership of Israel for war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. He told Ambassador Belut that uh, South Africa has taken a decision to recall its diplomats from Tel Aviv to assess its relationship with the country. Bangor stressed that South Africa once again called for an immediate comprehensive ceasefire, the opening of humanitarian corridors, and the release of all civilian hostages. And finally, significant losses have been sustained on the Israeli side, according to Al-Mahadeen's correspondence. Al-Mahadeen correspondence in Gaza on yesterday reported that the Israeli occupation forces were encountering strong resistance as they tried to breach the Gaza Strip. According to the correspondent, the Israeli side has suffered notable losses. The al-Qasim brigades managed to destroy multiple tanks in the al-Nasir neighborhood. Preliminary reports indicate, emphasizing the resistance actions in responding to the invading forces of four distinct fronts in the western area of Gaza. At present, confrontations persist with the IOF, the Israeli occupation forces, in the western territories of Tel al hawa and near the Al Shifa hospital. The correspondent highlighted the steadfastness of the hospital's defense lines against the Israeli occupying forces progression due to the efforts of the resistance. Additionally, reports indicate internal discussions within the Israeli occupation forces concerning communication loss with some of their troops amidst the clashes west of Al Shakti refugee camp. The Israeli occupation forces intensified their bombardment of the Gaza Strip employing phosphorus bombs in the northern region of gaza city and near al-shifa al-nasir and al-ayum hospitals furthermore the occupation conducted airstrikes on al-barij camp in the central gaza strip leading to casualties and injuries sources from al-mahadeen confirmed casualties and injuries following the occupations bombing of a house in toba area of Jabalia camp in the sector's northern part and you can read these stories in their entirety Uh, logging on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire. That's going to conclude the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. And concluding uh, this segment, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches In hundreds of newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world, the Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journals, Worldwide radio broadcast for Saturday, November the 11th, uh, 2023. Go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
3: I'm
1: That was the Jimi Hendrix experience uh, with the track entitled The Burning of the Midnight Lamp, which was issued uh, on the Electric Ladyland album uh, in the United States in the fall of 1968. And uh, right now we're going to move into our segments. Uh, first segment is going to deal with uh, the debate and the demand in the Republic of South Africa for the complete severing of diplomatic relations between the Republic of South Africa and the state of Israel. Let's listen uh, to this report uh, from earlier today.
4: The ANC is calling for an expulsion of the Ambassador of Israel instead of a Dimash Please
5: tell us why.
6: The, the situation demands of us to react decisively.
5: Uh, there is no
6: retreat uh, from the Israeli government bombing of uh, uh, refugee camps bombing of hospitals all of that is happening right now so the action we're calling for is is informed by the events on the ground and then we've got to be decisive in expressing our solidarity actually for the isolation of the israeli israeli apartheid state That is, what is happening there is not war it is genocide it is the killing of innocent people and that's what is happening there
4: so the government ordered a dimanche, and what are you doing at the AMC?
6: we are very much encouraged by the our government stance and uh, including the actions that have been taken of dimache uh, we believe As the time goes, we need to be taking more action in relation to what is happening there. We support uh, Minister Naledi Pando, we support our government and we say hands off Naledi Pando. Our government stands for justice, peace uh, between the the Palestinians and the Israeli people. A two-state solution is our position and that is what uh, we are about as the African National Congress.
4: Thank you. Sheikh. Right. And now we have Sheikh Imam, leader of the NFP in Parliament. Sheikh, you guys are saying that an immediate cessation of hostilities. Please talk to us about that.
5: Yes, very good afternoon to all our viewers out there. Yes indeed, as the NFP, about two weeks ago we already submitted a motion for shutting down the embassy in South Africa and expelling the Israeli ambassador. That's number one. And not only recalling for discussion, Uh, our ambassador in, in Israel but to shut it down completely until such time Israel is willing to come, not to sit and negotiate there's no more negotiation many agreements have been entered into over the last number of years and so all we're asking them to do is to implement them remember the Palestinians have been there for thousands of years Okay? But yet, despite you coming there, removing them forcefully, taking what is rightfully there. What are the Palestinians saying? We are still willing to work with you, to live side by side on a two-state solution. In South Africa, we were not willing to have that. So we got our freedom. But the Palestinians are even willing to compromise for a two-state solution. But what is Israel doing? Continuing with the bombings. Can you imagine? There's 500 babies at any given time waiting to be born dying before they are actually born only because you've cut off the electricity and you're not allowing the anesthetic mothers are dying babies are dying you are now want to get rid of everybody in gaza what is the reason for that because of the amount the abundance of uh, gas that has been found in gaza that is one of the major problems this war is all about natural resources remember the russia and ukraine war what is it doing it's restricting the supply to europe and they don't have it and when they established and identified gas in Gaza, this is when it all started. And the countries that are supporting this is because each and every one of them. Remember, these countries, where there's chaos, they are in the forefront. Where there's disease, they benefit. Where there's war, they benefit. War is a business. So all they are trying to do is to remove the people of Gaza completely, so that they can have that Gaza, which has got abundance of gas. And I'm advised it about 300 years supply of gas available and this is what it is But what we are saying is why not a ceasefire israeli is saying again and again we are not willing to have a ceasefire let's look at the propaganda that has been brought all over the media particularly the mainstream media they said that Hamas has been beheading children babies the report has now come out with all the evidence that not a single baby has been beheaded and Hamas has not been killing any civilians all those that have died, most of them were killed by the Israeli defense force because of the Israeli principle of what? The principle that if you, instead of you being taken as a hostage, we must rather kill you. And that's basically what they've done. If you heard what the Jewish lady said very clearly that they, we were fine, we were treated very humanely by Hamas until the Israeli <laughs> defense force came here. And when they came here unannounced and attacked, that's when our people have actually died. So from the 40-some-odd babies that they're talking about, it's now come down to one. And that baby was not even beheaded. Now they are looking at how did that baby die. So you can look at the propaganda that's going on. This is not a, nothing about religion. It's political parties and politicians that cause the chaos all over the world, even in our own country. I'm not asking anybody to look at anything else. But look at the number of innocent babies that are dying. Look at the innocent women that are dying. What more do you want? why can't we sit down at a table and find solution and you can see by the number of jewish and christian even in israel who have their rights violated by the same israeli Zionist government and they are in support of the the the, the, the pal- palestine as a whole so why would they want to support the palestinian cause if the palestinians had not treated them well you will hear rabbi after rabbi pastor after pastor reverend after reverend saying that pal- and Jews all over the world telling you for thousands of years that they lived there. They lived in harmony alongside the Muslims, Christians and the Jews. So this is a war that is being created by a handful of them. And I want to say this without any fear or favor. Unless we deal with the devils of this world like the United States, the UK who has created the state of Israel, together with the Zionist state of Israel, France and others. There will be no peace in this world, there will be no social upliftment, there will be no security, there will always be poverty. Remember what they've done to Africa, they've cleared Africa. Africa, one of the richest continents in minerals, has got nothing under their control. Now it's Gaza. If we don't free Palestine today, I can assure you that many other countries will save the same fate as Palestine today. So freeing Palestine is an opportunity to free us in the entire world.
1: Welcome back. And that was a report uh, from uh, the South African Broadcasting Corporation uh, on uh, the debate and the demands that are going on right now in the Republic of South Africa for a total severance of diplomatic relations uh, with the apartheid state of Israel. And also uh, the Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adhanam Ghebreyesus, who is an Ethiopian national Uh, traveled uh, to uh, New York to speak before the United Nations this week uh, to explain horrendous humanitarian crisis uh, Where hospitals have been bombed? uh, Where hospitals are under constant attack uh, in Gaza by the Israeli Air Force the Israeli Defense Forces? Uh, Let's listen to this address uh, from the World Health Organization Director General uh, Dr. Pedro's
7: I Now give the floor
8: to Mr.
9: Tatos Gabrielsis to present a briefing.
8: The floor is yours, sir.
7: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President, Excellencies. Thank you for this opportunity to brief you on the held situation in Gaza. Let me be clear from the outset that I fully understand the anger, grief, and fear of the Israeli people following the horrific, barbaric, and unjustifiable attacks by Hamas and other armed groups on Israeli civilians on the 7th of October. The killing of 1,400 people and injuries to more than 7,200 others is incomprehensible. For the survivors and families of victims, The mental health consequences will endure for a long time to come. WHO is gravely concerned for the health and well-being of Israeli hostages in Gaza, many of whom are older people, children, and those with urgent medical needs. Two weeks ago, I spoke with families of hostages, and I will meet them in Geneva next week. I feel their heartache and fear. I also understand the anger, grief, and fear of the people of Gaza, who had already suffered through 16 years of blockade, and are now enduring the destruction of their families, their homes, their communities, and the life they knew. The situation on the ground is impossible to describe. Hospital corridors crammed with the injured, the sick, the dying, morgues overflowing, surgery, without anesthesia, tens of thousands of displaced people sheltering at hospitals, families crammed into overcrowded schools desperate for food and water, more than 10,800 people have now been killed in Gaza, almost 70 percent of them women and children. On average, A child is killed every 10 minutes in Gaza. 1.5 million people have been displaced and are looking for shelter anywhere they can find it. But nowhere and no one is safe. Nowhere and no one is safe. As more and more people move to a smaller and smaller space, overcrowding is increasing the risks of outbreaks of diarrheal and respiratory diseases and skin infections. Of course, WHO is on the ground in Gaza alongside our partners to support health workers who are physically and mentally exhausted and are doing their best in an unimaginable conditions. In addition to caring for the 27,000 people who are wounded, many of them with life-threatening injuries, they are trying to manage the regular health needs of more than 2 million people. More than 180 women give birth in Gaza every single day. There are 9,000 patients on cancer therapy, and there are 350,000 patients with diabetes, heart disease, and hypertension. I visited Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza five years ago, in 2018. I toured a dialysis ward and the neonatal intensive care unit, and spoke with health workers and patients even then, in 2018 in Gaza, conditions were extremely difficult for health workers. Now their work is impossible, and they are directly in the firing line. Since the 7th of October, WHO has verified more than 250 attacks on health care in Gaza and the West Bank, in addition to 25 attacks on health care in Israel hospitals, clinics, patients, ambulances. Last week, WHO documented five attacks on five hospitals in one day. In the past 48 hours alone, four hospitals have been put out of action, representing some 430 beds. More than 100 of our UN colleagues have been killed. And counting. And as we speak, there are reports of firing outside the Al-Shifa and Rantisi hospitals. Half of the Gaza Strip's 36 hospitals and two-thirds of its primary health care centers are not functioning at all. Those that are functioning are operating way beyond their capacities. The health system is on its knees, and yet somehow it's continuing to deliver some life-saving care. The best way to support those health workers and the people they serve is by giving them the tools they need to deliver that care. Medicines, medical equipment, and fuel for hospital generators. Field hospitals and emergency medical teams can complement and support existing hospitals and health workers in Gaza, but they cannot replace them. Supporting Gaza health workers is at the heart of WHO's operational response plan. WHO was part of the first convoy of aid to enter Gaza through the Rafah crossing on the 21st of October. And since then, we have delivered 63 metric tons of specialist medical equipment and supplies that health workers need to save lives, including to hospitals north of Wadi, Gaza. But this doesn't even begin to address the scale of needed need. It's too small. Before the 7th of October, an average of 500 trucks a day were crossing into Gaza, with essential supplies. Since the 21st of October, instead of the expected 10,000 trucks, just 650 have entered. A month ago, just two days after the violence started, I met with His Excellency President Abdel Fattah Al-Sisi of Egypt, who agreed to support WHO and our partners to deliver aid through the Rafah crossing. I thank Egypt for its support in getting aid into Gaza and for establishing a medevac pathway to get the most critically sick and wounded patients out, including 12 children with cancer who are being transferred for treatment in Egypt and Jordan. WHO continues to call for unfettered access to deliver humanitarian aid to the civilians of Gaza who are not responsible for this violence, but are suffering in ways that we in this room cannot imagine. We continue to call on Hamas to release the hostage it took, many of whom need urgent medical attention. We continue to call on Israel to restore supplies of electricity, water, and especially fuel we continue to call on both sides to abide by their obligations under international humanitarian law. And we continue to call for a ceasefire to prevent further deaths of civilians and further damage to Gaza's hospitals and health facilities. Mr. President, Excellencies, I understand what the children of Gaza must be going through. Because as a child, I went through the same thing. The same. The sound of gunfire and shells whistling through the air. The smell of smoke after a strike. Thrasser bullets in the night sky. The fear. The pain. The loss. These things have stayed with me throughout my life. I know the smell, the image of war. I I know what war means. When my mother heard gunfire at night, she would make us sleep under the bed with more mattresses on top of one bed in the hope we might be protected if a shell fell on our house, a mother's instinct to save her kids. I also understand what the parents of Gaza are going through because in 1998, when war returned to Ethiopia, my country, my children had to hide in a bunker to shelter from the bombardment. I experienced war both as a child and as a parent. I know how the children are feeling, and I know how the parents are also feeling. The children and parents of Gaza and Israel want and need the same thing that my family wanted and needed, peace and security. By the way, I never imagined that I would be the Director General of the World Health Organization, because my mother's prayer was to survive just one day, one day. Maybe I'm lucky. That's what this council was established to achieve, peace and security. But this crisis underlines once again the need for reform of the Security Council. I felt nostalgic, by the way, when I entered into the room because I used to come here when I was foreign minister. It has long been my view that the, U- the Security Council no longer serves the purpose for which it was established. And reminding this with all due respect. It, re- it represents the real politic of the Second World War, not the 21st century. As a foreign minister I was part of a group working on reform of the Security Council I am dismayed that no progress has been made To remain credible relevant and a force for peace in our world member states especially the P5 especially the P5 must take seriously the need to reform the Security Council. And one more ask, one ask for today is a ceasefire and a past world's peace. I thank you. And Chair, Mr. President, back to you.
1: Welcome back. That was uh, the Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adharam Ghebreyesus, uh, who is an Ethiopian uh, national. Uh, He was speaking on the current uh, humanitarian crisis in uh, the Gaza area. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast for Saturday, November the 11th, uh, 2023. Right now we want to move to the uh, Organization of Islamic Conference, uh, which held a special meeting today in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And at present uh, were members of the Organization of Islamic Conference, the League of Arab States, the African Union, and also uh, the president of the Islamic Republic of Iran, President Raisi, and we're going to bring you his address uh, before this meeting earlier. Uh, today if we fail we will allow the Israelis to continue with this
8: practice thank you sheikh tamim
9: bin hamad president of Iran will take the floor peace be upon you in the name of Allah Almighty and praise be to Allah and praise be to our Prophet Muhammad and his uh, companions those who are under a war are facing injustice and they will be victorious peace be on Gaza peace be on Palestine peace be on the shed the bloodshed over there. Peace be on the resistance in Palestine and in Lebanon. Today,
7: Palestine is the key
9: to dignity, Islamic dignity, humanitarian dignity. At the very beginning, Mr. President, it's
10: my pleasure
9: to thank the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for hosting this meeting, this 14th important meeting of OIC, and it's very important at this particular time, at this very decisive time in the history of the region. And this extraordinary meeting is there for us, to talk about the main topic now in the arab islamic world which is the palestinian issue this is the worst crime that has been witnessed by the people in history the heroes of gaza are there and we need to take a, a decision to sort out the problem and the entire islamic world must be united and through this unity Depending on Allah Almighty, the ability of Allah Almighty, we can sort out the problem. We also need to depend on the abilities and capabilities of the Islamic world in order to save and rescue the entire Islamic nations. This organization must play a right and important role in order to symbolize a moment of unity. Iran has understood this and the n- good neighboring policy is always adopted by Iran and we are opening our arms for friendship with the Islamic countries today and on behalf of the nation of the Prophet Muhammad be upon him we are meeting today in order to go and help and support the Palestinian People, the Palestinian people, is in need of our uh, help and support. Today, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is not happy at all because of what's going on in Gaza and what's going on against the Palestinians. Today, the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace be upon him, is waiting and is expecting a lot from the Islamic nations and from the Islamic leaders. You are my brothers in religion. Today is a day to walk. Today is a historic day. We need to support the heroes, the heroes who defend Al-Aqsa Mosque. Today is a day is a day to help and support the right against the wrong this Zionist regime is the Pharaoh of the moment this Zionist regime is symbolizing the aim and goal of killing and uh, and see the bloodshed all over the place demonstrations around the world showing to everyone that the love of Palestine is everywhere is all over the place today we need to achieve that goal and uh, we have seen during the last five weeks in Gaza we have seen a lot, and this is symbolizing the brutality and uh, the violation to the international law the heroes of Gaza are still there, the heroes of Gaza will always be there they have done that through the last two decades and uh, Gaza has been suffering from a blockade for around 20 years it is the biggest prison in the world it is the biggest prison in the world and uh, the heroes of Gaza are still resisting are still confronting and despite the fact that I'm not well-equipped God will support him Allah will support him because they are patient the Zionist regime has violated all the rules of the international law The Zionist regime has attacked comprehensively the whole of Gaza Strip. Bombardment and shelling and targeting sporadically. The use of light bombs that are banned in order to increase the numbers of the victims 11,000 civilians defenseless have lost their lives in Gaza and still more than 3,000 persons are under the rubble most of the victims, most of the Israeli aggression are women and children. They are innocent women and children and civilians Ambulances teams, medical teams, correspondents, journalists bombing the hospitals are all criminal, brutal crimes and uh, this is uh, uh, epidemics and sickness and disease are all over the place because of the blockade imposed by the Zaili Zionist regime. And we can ask, what are the sins of those people to die? What are the sins of those innocent to be killed and to be victimized? We will be one day asked, what are the crimes of the children? What are the sins? What are the crimes of the children? The story of Gaza is the story of a conflict between dignity and between meanness. We need to decide which line we will go with and which line we will support. They are the enemies and they are the enemies that are brutal and they are trying to destroy the new generations. Dear leaders of Islamic nations, undoubtedly, The United States of America is the one who gave the orders to this, is the partner in these crimes. And no legitimacy for America that gives orders to the Zionist regime to continue these attacks. America prefers the Zionist regime America prefers the Zionist regime at the expense of thousands of uh, children and women who are dealt in an without mercy. America has supported the Zionist regime to commit all these crimes and all these brutality and they consider this a self-defense. The Zionist regime is killing, bombing, shelling the Palestinians and this is against all the rules and international laws and the American, the American war uh, uh, marines and uh, aircraft carriers are there in the region in support of Israel as if they are uh, supporting the Zionist regime in its war against Gaza. Also America is supporting Israel in the United Nations, vetoes the resolutions that uh, prevent the killing of Palestinians, but uh, the Americans have paved the way for Israel to kill more, to bombard more, and to shell more. And a lot of support is being given to Israel through different types of fatal weapons. America is filling the stores of Israel with a lot of weapons. America is giving Israel billions of dollars. America is supporting the war machine of Israel and uh, they are doing all this for the sake of israel against the palestinians shipments of weapons have been sent to israel on a daily basis and the zionist regime has sent what we can say almost seven atomic bombs on gaza on the palestinians this is a crime that is made by both america and Israel and we need to follow everything in the international organizations. The worst role played in this regard is the role of the United States of America. All the sins are committed and made by the United States of America. Look at what happened in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and uh, other Arab con- uh, Islamic countries all these bad things are happening because of the United States of America. They keep the world occupied with these weapons deals and sought a uh, uh, lot of deals and lot types of deals and uh, dear Islamic countries,
10: to-
9: today we need to fight All the false tactics and the Israelis that are not fair at all hate the entire world. And the world can see now clearly that this Zionist bloody regime within the Islamic world aims to nothing except controlling those dictators and... uh, uh, controlling the un, unfair and the unjust supporters, we need to make sure that everything is under America has failed and the resolutions are not supporting the people who need. We need, end of the day to, as we said at the beginning, and in a dialogue within the Islamic leaders, we need to have this meeting. And we wish to have such a meeting one month ago. But it is there now. Yes, we are late. And I still hope that this meeting will result in a resolution that will be for the sake of the Palestinian people. This must be the first step. The first step is to reach a ceasefire, to stop killing the civilians in Gaza, to put an end to the sporadic attack against the civilians. We need not allow the Zionist regime and the supporters of the Zionist regime to uh, continue in this. We need to uh, stop anyone from killing the citizens, killing the civilians. We need to use every tool in our hands in order to force the Zionist regime to put an end to this aggression and to put an end to his effective war machine. We must understand that the resistance in Gaza are doing a great job and without these resistance in Gaza, without those heroes in Gaza, and in Lebanon, the Zionist regime will spread its aggression everywhere. And we might have seen some other countries and some other Islamic countries are facing uh, w- 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 the Israeli confrontation. So, it's, uh, and no conditions must be there. No conditions must be there. We need to open the Rafah Crossing. We need to continue our cooperation with the Egyptians. We need to allow the humanitarian relief and humanitarian aid to go to Gaza. We need also medical teams uh, to go to Gaza and to help. And we must uh, agree as leaders of Islamic countries, we must do our best in order to implement this to find an executive delegation to to, to do this we need to send the relief and the aid and assistance to Gaza we need to have humanitarian corridors in order to send the humanitarian relief to the Gaza and to the people of Gaza we must ask and do our best for the military presence of Israel to leave Gaza. Gaza must go to the Palestinians. Gaza is the right of the Palestinians, and uh, those who are employed by America are uh, are not doing well to the case and to the cause. The Islamic countries must do their best, must be united, must share the belief, that uh, we need to liberate all these occupied uh, territories and the diplomatic relations is not important. We need to cut diplomatic relations with the Zionist regime. The Islamic countries must do that. We need to boycott All the products of the Zionist regime, particularly when it comes to energy, the priority must be this one. And we need to support the popular movement to boycott the Israeli products and the Islamic countries has a role which is to consider the IDF as a terrorist organization. We must consider this a terrorist organization and an international court must be there in order to punish the commanders and the political leaders of the Zionist regime, even the Americans who are partners in the killing of our Palestinians in Gaza also at the same time we need to do something regarding the reconstruction in uh, gaza strip and we need to send convoys that will carry humanitarian aid and relief to the palestinian people in gaza from all countries particularly the islamic countries we need to name a day for the zionist Crimes bombarding the Baptist uh, hospital Must be the day of crimes committed by the Israeli regime And if the Zionist regime continues such crimes in this unequivalent war The Islamic countries must do something for the Palestinian people They need to understand that we are with them these are the short-term and very quick solutions the lasting solution is what mentioned by uh, Khamenei the uh, leader of the Islamic Republic of Iran and it was there registered in the United Nations which is the Palestinian state from the sea to the river based on the democratic principles in order for every Palestinian to have one voice to represent the Palestinian people Muslim or Christian no problem at all, we all support the Palestinian case and we need to stop this war and during the last seven, last seven, last 70 years we have seen a lot of atrocities and they are all with no result, with no concrete result the Zionist regime has deceived the people uh, transferred the Palestinian people sent them in a transfer movement and uh, a lot of settlements have been built and a military force was there in their territories in the Palestinian territories and the Zionist regime is the occupation regime is not legal at all and we need to put in mind that time is not for the sake of the Palestinians is not for the sake of the legitimate rights of the Palestinians 75 years has passed and the Zionist regime is the one who is committing racism and is the one who must leave our area and on the other hand we need to face strongly we need to defend strongly we need to do this sacred defense against our land we need to resist the Zionist regime and we need to increase the resistance to support the resistance we have seen the heroes of Gaza doing what in a 35 day conflict between them and the Israelis in order to get rid of the occupation we need to support the resistance and we need to kiss the hands and foreheads of every and each member of the Palestinian resistance of Hamas people We need to shake hands with them to salute the Palestinian people in Gaza, to salute the resistance in Gaza. And I need to confirm that Iran recognizes the resistance in Gaza and denounces the transfer and relocation of the Palestinian people from Gaza being... war crime against the Palestinians the sacred the holy sites are very important and we have stretched the importance all over the years and
11: uh, I want
9: from all the countries who supported Gaza I'd like to thank every country who supported Gaza and today the crimes of the occupation the crime is a way, the crimes of Israel are a wake up call to everyone we need to be always, always with the Palestinians in Gaza and we at the same time need to know that the Israelis are the only entity in the world who doesn't consider the human life who doesn't consider the human entity and uh, every international organization must put this in mind, all the crimes have been committed and the world is witnessing and watching and the Israelis are threatening to kill more of the Palestinians, not only that but to use their nuclear weapon against the Palestinians we have seen that and we need to support and salute the Palestinian resistance that has achieved a lot of gains for the sake of the Palestinian cause and uh, 75 years of occupation and domination and uh, those people who are always supporting Israel all over the years must understand that Peoples, Muslim peoples consider this a shame. They see the blood of the brothers and sisters all over the place in Gaza. And they have seen they have seen other countries supporting and financing the fuel, the fuel that will kill uh, the Gazans and uh, Everyone must understand that the test of Allah Almighty will be always there. And if this meeting, the meeting of the Islamic nations, if it lets the Palestinians down, and if it doesn't end up with a concrete resolution to defend Palestine, this will never be forgotten. And we must, as leaders of Islamic countries, Mr. President, at the end, I'd like to thank the children in Gaza, the Gaza. the martyrs in Gaza. Peace on the martyrs in Gaza. Peace on the children in Gaza. Peace on those who recite the Holy Quran in Gaza. Peace on those who are defending their land. Peace on the children who are shaking because of the horror they have seen in Gaza. And today, through your presence, through your meeting, we would like to tell the people in Gaza that the most sophisticated armies and weapons in the world will never hate you peace be upon you with your bodies with your hands you have defeated the brutality of the Zionist regime and with your bright faces with the bright faces with traces of blood with your parts of your bodies with those people under the rubble, you all cry, and we all say, and we all shout, we are resilient. The resistance is for the resilient people in Gaza. You are the heroes of the resistance. We will never let you down. We will never let you down. palestine fine will be victorious end of the day they think it will take a long time but we can see it within hands and peace be upon you all
1: and uh, that was uh, the president of the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, President Raisi and uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday November 11th, uh, 2023 We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. Right now, we want to listen to a discussion uh, surrounding a petition that has been circulating of uh, journalists uh, who are complaining about the corporate media and government media outlets uh, in regard to their bias towards the Palestinians. This has been happening straight across the board, uh, whether it's the British Broadcasting Corporation CNN, National Public Radio, uh, all down the line. They're all biased against the Palestinians. They have allowed uh, Israeli governmental spokespersons, spokespersons for the uh, Israeli Defense Forces to go on the air unchallenged uh, and call Palestinians animals, terrorists, and all types of uh, demeaning uh, characterizations. Uh, this is being called out even by those who work uh, for these institutions. Let's listen uh, to this report on Western media bias in regard to the Gaza genocide.
12: A letter signed by hundreds of international journalists says Western media coverage of the Gaza war has been biased in favor of Israel and against Palestine. Newsrooms are accused of dehumanizing Palestinians. Are the allegations fair? This is Inside Story. Hello there and welcome to the program. I'm Laura Kyle. The world's television screens, newspapers and online media have been filled with pictures of Israel's war on Gaza, which has killed nearly 12,000 Palestinians, most of them women and children. They've also featured the Hamas attacks of October the 7th, which killed 1,200 Israelis. Modern technology means there's more media coverage than ever before. But some of this coverage has been criticized by journalists themselves. Hundreds have signed a letter accusing Western media of biased reporting of the Gaza war. They work for organizations such as Reuters, The Washington Post, The Los Angeles Times, and The Guardian. Let's take a look at some of the main points in the letter.
13: We hold Western newsrooms accountable for dehumanizing rhetoric that has served to justify ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Double standards, inaccuracies and fallacies abound in American publications and have been well documented. Newsrooms have instead undermined Palestinian, Arab and Muslim perspectives, dismissing them as unreliable and have evoked inflammatory language that reinforces Islamophobic and racist tropes. They have printed misinformation spread by Israeli officials and failed to scrutinize and indiscriminate killing of civilians in Gaza committed with the support of the U.S. government. This is our job, to hold power to account, otherwise we risk becoming accessories to genocide. We are renewing the call for journalists to tell the full truth without fear or favor, to use precise terms that are well defined by international human rights organizations, including apartheid, ethnic cleansing, and genocide, to recognize that contorting our words to hide evidence of war crimes or Israel's oppression of Palestinians is journalistic malpractice and an abdication of moral clarity. Now, there has, of course,
12: been plenty of balanced and compelling reporting in Western media on the plight of Palestinians and the devastating impact of the Israeli war on Gaza. But there's also been plenty of instances where hardline pro-Israeli government statements have gone unchallenged.
13: Israel is not engaged in genocide. And another thing we need to deal with is the whitewashing of the status of people in Gaza. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people who would love to be free from uh, Hamas, but the most radicalized people on the planet live in the Gaza Strip. They've been taught since birth uh, to kill and hate the Jews. How do you teach math in Gaza? If you had 10 Jews and you killed six, how many would be left? That's been in their school system.
12: The U.S. Republican presidential candidates have lined up to voice their support for Israel during a televised debate this week. The result? A platform for unchallenged and extreme views supporting the bombing of Gaza.
4: The first thing I said to him when it happened was I said, finish them, finish them. And the reason is I worked on this every day when I was at the United Nations. And we have to remember that they have to, one, eliminate Hamas. Two, support Israel with whatever they need, whenever they need it. And three, make sure we bring our hostages home.
12: And the Washington Post took a cartoon off its website after a backlash. It was criticised as being racist and for its dehumanising portrayal of the Palestinians. Let's bring in our guest now. And in Toronto, Persant Matar, an independent journalist and 2022 Nyman Fellow at Harvard University. She's also a former producer at CBC News. In London, Ahmed Al-Naouk, a journalist and co-founder of We Are Not Numbers. That's a non-profit organization that seeks to amplify voices and stories from Gaza. And here in Doha is Mark Owen-Jones, Associate Professor of Middle East Studies at Hamad bin Khalifa University. His research focuses on disinformation and propaganda. A very warm welcome to all of you. Percent, this is a pretty powerful letter written and signed by journalists themselves to their employers. You're one of the signatories. Why did you sign it?
4: Quite Frankly, Laura, I have been horrified and disappointed by the lack of courage from our profession, the lack of concern for our fellow journalists in Reza who are not only risking their lives, but their families' lives. They are on the move. They are trying to report on what's happening as the only people bearing witness to the suffering of the people of Reza. And I'm quite frankly so alarmed that we are now looking at over 39 journalists who have been killed. And at least in the West, it seems like there is abject silence about this. Uh, And so when I saw the letter circulating, I thought if we can't as a profession, as journalists, condemn the killing of our fellow journalists, then what are we doing here? Uh, It was just such a clear letter and it also got at the difficulty of reporting on this not just within the, which is the most immediate, but the difficulty of talking about this and reporting on this with clarity uh, in mainstream news organizations, which has been challenging for a very long time. And that's why I added my name to it. There is a lot of fear in talking about this, and I think there is power in collective action and in journalists banding together to say, we have an obligation to cover this fairly. Um, and to call out the uh, targeting of journalists like us. It could be any one of us that are being targeted
12: right now. What instances have have you found challenging?
4: Well, I was a long-time producer at CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and I can tell you that in my 10 years of working there, I produced thousands of interviews. I worked on a daily current affairs uh, news show, so thousands of interviews over 10 years. But the one story of mine, Laura, that never saw the light of day, an interview that I had produced, um, and in 10 years, the one story that did not make it to air was an interview that I had produced with a Palestinian-American journalist, your former Al Jazeera colleague, Ahmed I-Din, Emmy-nominated journalist who was reporting on protests in Jerusalem in 2017. And ironically, one of the things that we spoke to him about was the difficulty of covering this. He had, in the course of his reporting, been... Stopped, questioned, uh, jostled around by Israeli security forces on video, by the way, which is what drew my attention to him and thought I should talk to him about this for our show. And when we recorded the interview with him, uh, uh, I came back after editing it, coming back from a break, and was told with no discussion by hires up that this interview would not air, that they did not have time to explain it to me. And it was unceremoniously yanked with no editorial discussion. And it was the first and only time in my entire history at the CDC where an interview did not make it to air. And I still, to this day, am not clear as to why. And so that is just one stark example of the difficulty of putting on Palestinian voices, of talking about uh, the view from Palestine, specifically, I would say, from Arabs, Arab-adjacent, Muslim journalists, Palestinians themselves are often silenced uh, without uh, a lot of due process editorially. And it is just an opaque, difficult thing. And the only reason I was able to talk about it is because I wrote about it in an article that was fact-checked and bulletproof in an independent magazine here. And that was the way that I found that I could talk about this three years later in 2020.
12: Okay, so then we'll certainly look at the reasons, perhaps, why uh, that interview wasn't aired just a little later in the discussion. First of all, Mark, I just want to get some uh, examples from you. I know you've been looking at the UK media. Mm. Give us an idea of what you're seeing there and the way that you're seeing bias creeping in and the dehumanization of Palestinians becoming the norm.
14: Well, I think a key aspect of dehumanization is also marginalization. If you can make a people invisible, you can make their suffering disappear, then you're going to basically be controlling how much sympathy the public has for those people. And I was, for example, examining the front pages of a number of the, the, the British press, including the Daily Mail, which is one of the most circulated newspapers in the UK, and I found in the first 14 days of the, the conflict, or the war, rather, that they did not mention once on the front page uh, the cumulative total of Palestinians killed in Gaza, okay? And this is despite mentioning the number of uh, Israelis who were killed on October the 7th and thereabouts uh, several different times. So I thought this, to me, was a really striking example of how, for example, uh, Palestinians are removed from the picture, they're removed from suffering. It's almost as if, uh, you know, Uh, The the Israeli suffering was was the only kind of suffering that was worth mentioning on the front page of these newspapers. And I think we shouldn't take that lightly. I'm not saying that, you know, these figures weren't mentioned uh, in the paper on on a different page, but I think we all know that the front page, the headline is a really important positioning. It's What many people read, it's the only thing some people read, and it also gives an insight into the editorial process. What does that newspaper want us to think about what's going on in Gaza? And this is just one example uh, of a number, and that doesn't even start to mention the use of language, the dehumanizing nature of language. And this is another thing I'd really like to mention. What I've noticed, even in sort of the more quality papers in the U.K., like The Guardian, often they will preface what Hamas did with terms like brutal and massacre. Mm. But when it comes to, for example, the Israeli bombing of of Gaza, which has killed over 10,000 people in horrific, brutal ways. Terms like brutal are never used. It's always things like precision strike or collateral damage, right? So there's this kind of, you know, double speak going on when reporting about Israeli atrocities that is not used when it comes to, uh, you know, those perceived atrocities carried out by Palestinians. And, and this is not accidental, you know. This is, you know, how, how writing is constructed to actually marginalize the suffering of Palestinians. And this has been an ongoing uh, issue in how, the Western media generally has portrayed what's going on in Palestine, and it's unacceptable.
12: Ahmed, you've been on the receiving end of this bias yourself. Your, your own suffering has been uh, belittled. Will you share with us your experience?
8: Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Actually, what's going on here and uh, the Western media bias in Palestine is not new. We are used to it. It has been ongoing for the past 75 years. And uh, recently, uh, during the past three weeks, I lost 21 family members, and uh, they were uh, civilians, they were sleeping in their home, and Israel bombed them, including 14 of my nieces and nephews who were kids, they were killed. And then uh, the media invited me, a lot of media outlets invited me to talk, uh, to speak about my family and what's going on, but the problem with, with that is... It is always the media invite the palestinians to speak in order to embarrass them in order to put them in uh in a position where they have to defend themselves to mm. prove the their worthiness to the to the Western audience for example i saw 21 family members in just one bomb and then uh, in one of the interviews they said ahmad lost 21 family members they did not say israel killed 21 family members uh, of ahmad while they were asleep they said lost but when you talk about the israelis and when they describe the israelis they always say israelis are brutally killed massacred terrorists killed them but the palestinians they just lose their family their family members the, the palestinians die all the time that's the problem and on many other cases they on many other tv appearances they asked me after knowing that i lost the 21 family members they asked me to condemn hamas or what they, what do i think of hamas or if i were close to my brothers and sisters? who I grew up uh, uh, in my entire life with. So it's always our perception is uh, countered with uh, disbelief. They, they want to m- make sure that I am correct, that my, my family means something to me. Uh, m- many of the big publications also uh, wrote interviews, with, uh, wrote articles about me. And every single information I tell them about my family, they want to prove. They want to see my house on google maps they want to know the names of my brothers and sisters and their ages and what they were doing and these interviews went through a lot a lot of security because they want to make sure that i'm not lying so they always have this impression that i might be lying that my family is hamas that there's a justification whatsoever but when you compare that with what happened in Israel in 7th of october the same mainstream uh media outlets they were not reluctant to disseminate information and lies and fake news by the Israelis without any scrutiny, without any mm. fact-checking, without any, uh, without any professional uh, media work. That's the problem. I've been on many, many TV appearances during the past uh, one month, and in every one of them, it is almost that they want to ask me if I condemn Hamas or not, because they think that condemning Hamas, or the question is about Hamas, is the litmus test that I have to do, I have to undertake in order to prove that I'm worthy of being heard. That's the problem we have been suffering with the mainstream media for 75 years. Is that always the Palestinians are less worthy, our lives are less important. And then yesterday, for example, uh, Talk TV did an interview with me and then I was I wanted to know what, what the comments on their YouTube channel. And oh, every it's... single comment on that interview was very 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 negative everyone said that i do not deserve sympathy because i did not condemn hamas i wasn't asked by the way to condemn hamas on in that interview but they said that i don't deserve sympathy some people think thought it was too weird that i have 20 family 20 family members and that i am lying because i have 20 family members Think think they, they are too many and they shouldn't be uh i, I shouldn't have too many family members mm. and i don't blame the people who say that but it is, this is the outcome of decades of Western media disinformation and lies about the Palestinian people and demonization of the Palestinian people. It Percent, people let me just so jump in there. Th- I just want
12: to get an idea from Percent who's just recently been with CBCs, sort or of very mainstream media there in, in uh, Canada. Do you understand, do you, do you accept that there's this reluctance to accept Palestinian suffering as equal to Israeli suffering? Uh, that that needs to be scrutinized, that the the stories need to be fact-checked. Do you you see that happening in the newsrooms where you've been working? Absolutely, and and even before getting to a stage of
4: of fact-checking or verifying, the bar for getting Palestinian voices or stories about Palestine on the air is is so high, it is almost, uh, it's an impossible bar to meet. And when we do reach that threshold, it is because there has been an attack on Israelis, Israelis have been killed or injured, and that then gives us the green light in Western media often to wade into it. And it is often contextless. Uh, Palestinians rarely get on to talk about their lives, uh, the daily injustices that they face. The missing context that has been missing from coverage about Palestine and Israel for so long And, you know, what we see often is a very limited window of conversation. These days it is, do you condemn Hamas? Do you condemn Hamas? Even when Palestinians do make it onto the air, it is often what I would call trauma porn. Tell us about your pain. Tell us Mm. about who you've lost. But when we start to get into the context and holding Israel accountable, um, you know, bringing it back to journalists, you know, Israel has deliberately targeted journalists. And not just journalists who are in the field, but journalists sleeping in their homes along with their families. And so there is often a a missing context and a missing clarity about the violence and the death that Palestinians are experiencing. And it seems to only be discussed when Israelis face violence first, and then Palestinians are brought on to respond to this. And uh, the context piece has been very, very hard to get at, because then you're looking at words like, occupation, like, you know, international human rights groups talking about ethnic cleansing and genocide, the United Nations, Um, but there is such reluctance to talk about these things, and then there are groups that, you know, have gone after, and as a rule, go after anyone in the media who talks about uh, Palestinian freedom, Palestinian, the occupation, and they say that this is anti-Semitic, they say that, you know, you're calling for the destruction of Israel, and it gets so warped, and so basically newsroom managers do not want this headache. A lot of it is just fear. There's a chill because talking about this gets people riled up, and the accusations of anti-Semitism fly. There has been such a flattening of you know, criticism of uh, policies of the State of Israel. The Israeli government is often just uh, seen as anti-Semitic, and mm. so therefore no one wants to touch it, and no newsroom managers want to deal with ombudsman complaints so, therefore, we just don't wait into it. And this has been going on for a very long time, and I think we're
12: seeing the results of this right now. You brought up so many good points there that I want to look at. I'm just going to pick up on that culture of fear that you mentioned. Mark, how risky is it for journalists like Percent to speak out like this? We've seen people in the past speaking up and then losing their jobs over it.
14: I bet. I mean, I think, you know, we're seeing this uh, ample evidence of this right now. Several journalists in the U.S. Have, have lost their jobs for various reasons, including signing on a letter that was mm-hmm. condemning, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, just the unbelievable level of violence enacted by Israel on Palestinians. We saw someone fired from a position editing a magazine because he endorsed or he liked and praised a satirical Onion article Because he was saying that The Onion, which is a satirical American Mm -hmm. news out there, was actually providing some of the most astute and critical coverage in the U.S. of what was going on in Palestine. Could you imagine what kind of state we're living in when people lose their job? A journalist will lose their job simply for appreciating satire, which was happening within the bounds of the law. I mean, it's actually terrifying. And I think, you know, these these kind of risks uh, are are, are everywhere. Even as an academic, I faced it myself. I got an email from a journalist, a a British uh, journalist, uh, going through my tweets, trying to basically find any evidence that I was quote-unquote anti-Semitic. And one of the tweets he used as an example to try and cite me as being anti-Semitic in this article he wanted to write was one where I said, why do people have a problem when you compare, for example, media coverage or coverage of Palestine with that of Ukraine? How on earth is that even remotely anti-Semitic? Mm. How is it even remotely anti-Israeli? So, I mean, there's one thing where there's this attempt, which is really common, to basically accuse anyone who's remotely critical of Israel as being anti-Semitic. But then there's this other level where you're, you're accusing people who aren't even criticizing Israel of being anti-Semitic. You know, I, it is this huge flattening that we see, and it's hugely problematic. And, and, I, and I worry, and this, is, this draws on the point that was just being made about context, what happens, and this has happened to many people, including myself and other journalists, who try to talk about the backstory. right? The thing is, with, often with, with news media and journalism, it tries to create a beginning and a middle and an end to a story, right? This is where this whole, do you condemn Hamas comes in. What journalists mm-hmm. are trying to do there is trying to say, okay, we want you to admit that Hamas started it, and then once you admit that, then we'll talk to you, which is preposterous, right? Um, and it's always trying to reframe any form of Israeli aggression as a response as a retaliation to what Hamas did. None of this is about, you know, decades of occupation and apartheid and brutalization being the reason for causing what happened on the 7th of October. You know, that's that's not how it's framed. So the whole do you condemn Hamas is a form of gaslighting. It's a form of basically Palestinians trying to acknowledge that they are complicit somehow in their own suffering. And this discourse continues throughout. Even the arguments that, you know, Hamas used human shields, right? Uh, that, that you know, Palestinians live in crowded areas. It's all, it's all designed in a way to make it sound like Palestinian deaths are somehow their own doing. Well, this is the point that I wanted to actually bring
12: Ahmed in on. It's this idea of context again. And because we keep seeing in many Western media outlets that uh, pro-Israeli government voices coming on saying, this started on October the 7th. We're missing, aren't we, Ahmed, the context here. There's little space in many Western media outlets to talk about the situation before October the 7th, using words, like "percent" said, of apartheid, of occupation. This is what's missing.
8: Of course, this is uh, missing now. It has always been missing. Uh, I did my uh, my master's degree in, uh, in journalism, and my dissertation was about the Western media coverage in Palestine. And I can safely say that one of the main important uh topics that we're talking about the the many problems that we're having with the western media is the lack of context and also of what the western media exclude rather than what they include for example if you uh talk if, if you uh, uh, work at a human uh, if you work at um, a, a newspaper and if you say that the palestinian people have been living under military occupation for the past uh, 57 years it will make a huge difference If you talk about the settlements that are spreading in the West Bank, where there is no Hamas in the West Bank, it will make a huge difference to the reader. There are many, many, if you talk about the uh, collective punishment of siege that has been uh, ongoing in Gaza for the past 17 years, people will have a context. They will have an understanding of what's actually going on. Right now, the media only focuses or tell the stories of the Palestinians or talk about the conflict when there are Israelis killed. For example, since the beginning of this year, more than 400 palestinian people were killed in the west bank Mm. and then the media talked about it they only talked to us They only talk to the Palestinians when there are Israeli killed, as if the Israelis are the only important people here, the only lives that matter, and the Palestinians' lives don't matter. They don't talk about the the military occupation, they don't talk about the Nakba, you never hear about the Nakba, or the catastrophe that happened to the Palestinians 75 years ago, which uh, displaced uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from their home. All of this context is never provided to the audience, and that's why the audience, will only know uh, about Gaza we we'll talk about Gaza when there are bombing when there are israelis killed and this will give the the audience a negative perception mm. about uh, about about this conflict so this is one of the many problems that we ha- are suffering from and it's only the palestinians are portrayed in a, in a bad in a negative in a negative way Where they don't talk about success stories about talents about uh, the, the bright side of the palestinians they only talk about the palestinians when there are when there is a bloodshed that's the problem and that's why we have a, 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 lot of mis- info, a lot of stereotypes in the West about Palestine and about what's going on in, in Palestine.
12: Mark, I just want to bring you back to that point that you said about the, the number of uh, Palestinian deaths being missing from uh, front-page coverage uh, when the number of Israeli deaths is, is frequently reported. Do you think as an audience, as a, a consumer of news, that we have a higher threshold for state violence
14: over non-state violence? Do
12: you think that plays into it?
14: Um, I don't know if we have a higher threshold, uh, but I think, you know, it depends how you want to play it. I mean, are you saying, I mean, Hamas are are elected, right? Can we say that that's state Mm. violence, too? Why are we treating Hamas as this terrorist organization, whereas Israeli violence is somehow more legitimate? You know, Israel are constantly in violation of international law. Uh, They're, you know, bombing with these kind of indiscriminate weapons, densely populated area that are killing hundreds of people. I don't think it should matter or not whether this violence is state violence or not. I think what we're trying to see, uh, we're just trying to see this deliberate attempt to marginalize human suffering. And, and, and the 10,000s the of people killed, I think if that was anywhere else, if that was in Ukraine, we would see a lot of attention paid to that story. So I don't think it's about state violence, per se. I mean, Russia is a state and it's killing people. But what I do think here is this really interesting politicization over the number of people killed. The number of Palestinians killed is becoming a, a political problem for even J- Biden and Israel. So what Biden did, he went on the news to try and cast doubt on the number of Palestinians killed by using terms like Hamas run health ministry. We cannot trust these numbers. And where was the source for this story? Israeli intelligence. It was some guy who used to be a bureau chief in Jerusalem who said that we can't trust Hamas as, as numbers. Right. That was that was the source for mm. that story. And no one actually mentioned that the guy who the source for that story was was actually also working now for a PR firm. I mean, it's right. absurd. And, 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 okay, and Mark, I'm just just going to jump point in though. there. Sorry, just one sh- second. It's just today, the Israelis even downgraded the number of their casualties. Right. Mm. And I just think it's important. It's, it's not to say it's a, to undermine that that's a tragedy of the, and the amount of civilians that died. But at the end of the day, the Israelis have lowered downgraded the number of people killed. There was never any doubt. By 200.
12: I just want to to get the last word into you because we've only got a minute left on the discussion. You've written, you've signed this letter. Do you think it's going to have any impact on the way the Israeli-Gaza war is going to be covered from here on in?
4: I, I, I don't know, Laura. And the fact that I don't know if this will have any impact is, is I think, um, is chilling. But I have mm. just been haunted by watching journalists. Um, you know, there was a, a Palestine TV journalist who openly wept on TV. Uh, Salman al-Bashir was crying about his colleague, Muhammad al-Buhatab, just within the last week, who was killed after finishing his coverage, going home to sleep. And I was haunted by this Palestine TV correspondent standing outside of a hospital, seeing his colleague come in dead, who had just been reporting before him, and he took off his press vest, he took off his helmet, and said, we are victims, we are being targeted one by one, and these things are not protecting us. There is no international protection. And uh, I was haunted by that. Uh, when in sahdur from mm-hmm. Azizir, the Gaza bureau chief, he lost his whole family, his wife, his daughter, his son, his grandchild, and was on the air the next day saying, mm. I'm committed to tell this story. So that is what motivates me to sign and to to hopefully, um, you know, have a conversation about if we can't even condemn the killing of our fellow journalists, how can we condemn the wider genocide that is taking place against uh, Palestinian civilians in the tens of thousands, like over 10,000 now. I'm haunted by it, and if this letter is just a, a drop in the ocean, I hope it's one that creates a very
12: necessary conversation about what's happening now, at least in the journalistic community. Okay. Well, hopefully this is part of that conversation. Many thanks to all our guests for joining us here today. Perfent Matar, Ahmed al nauk and Mark Owen-Jones. And thank you, too, for watching. You can see the program again anytime by visiting our website. That's AltaZero.com. And for further discussion, do go to our Facebook page. That's Facebook.com forward slash You can also join the conversation on X. Our handle is at AJ Story. From me, Laura Kyle, and the whole team here, it's bye for now.
1: Welcome back. And that was a panel discussion on the uh, Western uh, media bias towards Palestine, which has really uh, reached its height uh, over the last uh, five weeks uh, since the beginning of the Operation Al-Aqsa storm uh, in southern Israel. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, November the 11th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll take a break. Uh, We'll be back uh, with the concluding segment of our program for today.
11: got a bitter,
2: bitter sweet companion
3: Yes, sir And some other oh, forget things She did not choose No idiot a dream
1: And that was the new Rotary Connection uh, from an extension of the Rotary Connection. Uh, That was their last album released in 1971. Uh, The track was entitled Song for Every Man with lead vocals by uh, Shirley Walls. And uh, right now we want to move into our concluding segment. We're going to play some uh, introductory remarks uh, from the day 31 of uh, electronic entifada uh, one of the great sources on uh, developments in gaza and the palestinian uh, question uh, let's listen uh, to uh, this report
4: Hello, and welcome back
13: to the Electronic Intifada's live stream for Monday, November 6th. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, Associate Editor, along with my colleagues Asa Wynn-Stanley and John Elmer, and our Executive Director, Ali Abunima. It's been 31
4: days of Israel's relentless genocidal attacks on Palestinians. Uh, We have a lot of news and analysis for you coming up, so please stay tuned. Uh, But first, we're going to go to Ali uh, for his opening remarks.
10: Ali, you're muted. Sorry.
0: Hi, everyone. I apologize for that. Let's try again. I want to start by reading from the opening paragraphs of a Washington Post article published on Sunday, headlined, White House frustrated by Israel's onslaught but sees few options. As Israel's ground invasion of Gaza escalates, the Biden administration finds itself in a precarious position. Administration officials say Israel's counterattack against Hamas has been too severe, too costly in civilian casualties, and lacking a coherent endgame. But they are unable to exert significant influence on America's closest ally in the Middle East to change its course. They continue, U.S. efforts to get Israel to scale back its counterattack have failed or fallen short. The Biden administration urged Israel against the ground invasion, privately asked it to consider proportionality in its attacks, advocated a higher priority on avoiding civilian deaths and called for a humanitarian pause only for Israeli officials to dismiss or reject all of those suggestions. The Post goes on to say that has left the Biden administration urgently seeking to temper anger in the Arab world by making clear publicly and privately that the United States is deeply distressed by the suffering in Gaza, a densely populated land of more than two million people, about half of whom are children. What's the point of all this? Clearly, the intended effect of this government messaging is to promote the lie that the United States is not responsible for Israel's horrific actions and should not be blamed, blamed, and indeed is even trying to restrain it. The hapless Biden administration, we're expected to believe, is powerless over Israel, a country which is completely dependent on the United States for political and military support. They're watching a train wreck, and they can't do anything about it, and the trains are speeding up. The Post quotes an unnamed person, supposedly familiar with administration thinking, saying. Now, far down in the same Washington Post article, in fact, in the 22nd paragraph, we get this. And I quote, Washington is Israel's largest military backer, and the White House has asked Congress for an additional $14 billion in aid for Israel. But administration officials and advisers say the levers the United States theoretically has over Israel, such as conditioning military aid on making the military campaign more targeted, are non-starters, partly because they would be so politically unpopular in any administration and partly because, aides say, Biden himself has a personal attachment to Israel. So in other words, the United States could demand a ceasefire, could vote for one at the UN, could stop the flow of bombs, but instead, Washington has decided to do none of that. And Joe Biden personally doesn't want to do it because he loves Israel and apparently loves it when Israel murders Palestinian children. And listen again to that claim buried in that paragraph that stopping military aid would be, quote, politically unpopular. Would it? Certainly not with the American people. As I've mentioned before, a Data for Progress poll published on October 20th found that 66% of Americans support a ceasefire, including 80% of supporters of Biden's Democratic Party and 56% of Republicans. I haven't found a more recent poll, but I can't imagine that the scenes of utter horror coming out of Gaza can have done anything except increase support for an immediate end, barbarism. But even if the Washington Post once said, we know with whom it would be unpopular, the weapons industry and the Israel lobby, the entities that pay the politicians. Let's call them what they are, the genocide lobby. Ultimately, however, the responsibility lies with those who have the power to turn off the supply of weapons with the stroke of a pen, and that is first and foremost Joe Biden. This is his genocide, his holocaust, and will be his only memorable legacy. But he's not alone. Last week, the National Lawyers Guild, the Center for Constitutional Rights, and Palestine Legal sent letters to members of Congress putting them on notice that they too may be personally liable by voting for more military aid for Israel. Should you vote in favor of that package, you risk facing criminal and civil liability for aiding and abetting genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity under international law, and may face investigation and prosecution at the International Criminal Court and in third states under the principle of universal jurisdiction, their letter states. I hope they will follow up with legal action. Now. Do you remember back in February 2022, after the large-scale entry of Russian forces into Ukraine, where a war against Russian-speaking people had been raging in the east of that country ever since the U.S.-backed coup of 2014 brought far-right extremists to power in Kiev? The United States and the so-called West immediately imposed unprecedented sanctions they gleefully announced would reduce the Russian economy to rubble. They even decided to stop listening to Russian music and reading Russian novels. Practically every European university cut off ties with Russian academies and Russian athletes were banned from competing. We were told all this was due to the unprecedented Nazi-like barbarism of the Russians who had come to Ukraine to commit genocide. Let's take a look at this blast from the past. Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaking about Ukraine almost one year ago. ...beating at a critical juncture. Um, As Ukraine continues to seize momentum on the battlefield, President Putin has focused his ire and his fire on Ukraine's civilian population. Over the past several weeks, Russia has bombed out more than a third of Ukraine's energy system, plunging millions into cold, into darkness, as frigid temperatures set in. Heat, water, electricity for children, for the elderly, for the sick. These are President Putin's new targets. He's hitting them hard. This brutalization of Ukraine's people is barbaric. Well, you heard that right. Heat, water, electricity for children, for the elderly, for the sick. This brutalization of Ukraine's public is barbaric. Those are the words of Antony Blinken. According to the United Nations Human Rights Office, the number of civilian casualties in Ukraine from February 22 until the end of September this year was 9,701 killed and more than 17,000 injured. That includes fatalities in the Russian-speaking eastern areas. It also includes 555 children. So according to the UN, children made up 5.7% of the fatalities in Ukraine. Bear in mind that this is a over an 18-month period and in a vast country. Welcome back.
1: And uh, that was uh, taken from Electronic Entifada uh, podcast. And that's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Saturday, uh, Saturday, November the 11th, 2023. And uh, we we'll be broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to this program, uh, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. Uh, that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the uh, Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We're going to close out uh, with the music of legendary jazz trumpeter Booker Little. Uh, this is taken from an album entitled Out Front. This is Abayomi Ezekoway signing off, and have a beautiful week.
10: Thank you.